Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonder and Learn podcast. My name is Ronnie and I'm a homeschool mum of four children from the southwest of England. Each week we will be discovering more about how children learn and develop so that we can create an environment that lights up their minds, sparks their imaginations and enhances learning. I hope this podcast will inspire you to bring wonder and joy into your child's education. So I am really pleased today to have my good friend Fadua Govertz with me and she is a very experienced home educating mother and she's also doing a PhD in home education which is so interesting. So Fadua, welcome to the podcast, thank you for being with me today. Please can you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yes, thank you Ronnie. Um, Yes, so I am indeed a home-ed mother of uh, five children, uh, aged between 17 and five, and I've home-edded now for, I think, 13 years. Um, so we've been through different phases, um, and also, of course, each child learns differently, so we've been through quite a lot of different um, home-ed approaches, and also uh, we've been in and out of school in that time as well, so we've been home editing, home editing for different reasons as well and a few years ago I decided that there were some unanswered unanswered questions um, about home education and there was quite a lot of research on the positives on home ed and also on the negatives of home ed and nothing really in between that uh, questioned or that um, also nothing really on the voice of the children who are being home edited. Uh, it was always the parents who had a view on home ed and why they were home editing, but there was there was very well at the time no research that I could find that would actually include the voice of the children and how they experienced home education. Um, so there was a conversation I had with my eldest um, once he started his GCSEs at uh, a local college where he was doing part-time GCSEs and some GCSEs at home. And I um, asked him a question randomly, uh, you know, he was nearly the end of our home ed journey with him. And I asked him a question, I said, um, uh, did you really like home ed? And, you know, did you like all the projects we did? And we just had a informal conversation. And he said, well, he said he did enjoy home ed, but he had a different perspective on the projects that I thought he found very exciting and he said I was at some point he, I can't remember exactly when but at some point he said that he was worried asking me questions because I would say well that's a nice project let's let's find out and then I'll take the whole <laughs> project out of it and and I thought it was his lack of enthusiasm I, I didn't realize it was me scaring him off of what you know if, if he asked a question what else are we going to to do for the next term so that, that raised the question of um, my perspective as mother on my, our home ed journey and his perspective. And obviously they were very different. And this is where I thought, no, this really needs to be, uh, this needs to come, come forward. And um, I started asking all my children the same questions and being, being more aware of what they think and not what I think they think. Um, so that developed into a PhD. 
like you said, um, so my PhD is on the voices of uh, young teenagers, um, how they perceive their home education journey, uh, what they like doing, uh, and what they value in their home ed, and it's going pretty well. I've finished my data collection, I've analysed it, and I'm writing it up. And um, the teenagers I've had are amazing. Some of them have been home ed for all their lives, and some of them have just been home ed uh, during the pandemic onwards. So we have different um, experiences, uh, which I think really highlights the home ed community. We're all just so, so very different. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds absolutely fascinating because, you know, we're doing home educating for our children. We're doing it in our children's best interest. So yeah. it's so important to get them on board and hear their opinions about what they like and what they don't like. Um, yeah, it's just so incredible, actually. I can't wait to read about your research. It sounds absolutely fascinating. And I also... I'm quite interested in that you're doing it on you know the teenagers you're you're investigating how the teenagers think I know that you've done some research recently about um, GCSE experiences as well do you think that it's important for home educated children to do GCSE exams? Uh, if you asked me this question maybe three four years ago my answer will be yes definitely um, now post this uh, post-pandemic and after I've done this research study with um, parents um, who went through the process of exams during the pandemic, I realized there were some real challenges. And also my own experience during pandemic when my second son, he was trying to access exams um, as a private candidate. There were some real challenges and difficulties put upon home educating families. Uh, and I'm saying families because Yes, the child is the one who sits the exam, but the logistics of it lies on the parents' um, shoulders and it's their responsibility to do all the admin and logistics behind getting the child ready and also getting there at the exam. Um, so this really highlighted some disparity and, and inequalities that I think need to be raised. And also we are now much more, and I myself am much more aware of other needs and um, I'm also much more critical of the value of GCSEs. Um, you know, I'm schooled myself. So for me, and I, I was a teacher before that, you know, I was completely in the education system. So for me, I always thought that for a child to be successful or to or, or for a child to progress, they need um, their exam, they need uh, qualifications, they need GCSE exams to progress. Um, but now what I can see is that there are many other routes that someone can take and that the, the society or the work, the labour market is much more open to alternative qualifications and certificates. So it's not necessarily needed anymore. What I find difficult to address is whether national qualifications are part of the child's right to education as laid out in our Education Act and in the Human Rights Act and the Children's um, UN rights, whether whether it comes with the right to education or or not, and it's very difficult to to address this and to have and it's it's very difficult to answer because everyone will, will think of it differently, and I think it needs to be investigated further and I think policymakers need to definitely look at it.
um, and, and be really upfront because as it is at the moment, it is either you are in school, you have access to it, or from my research what I found is all your parents have to be well off enough, uh, have the capital, the financial capital, the emotional capital, uh, and the educational capital to put a child through GCSEs. Because yeah. it, it wasn't easy during the pandemic. It was really, really difficult. Yeah. And I, and I don't think we actually realize yet the impact of um, the exam cancellations, what it has on the, this cohort, which now I think would be towards the end of A-levels and trying to access university or further education. So it, is, it was very difficult to, his last year, which was this year, he was going to do three other, three other GCSEs. Um, so during the first, uh, so during the first, uh, set of exam cancellations, uh, I think 2020, he was due to sit Arabic GCSE. And um, we had an email saying, sorry, the exams were cancelled. And the only way for him to go through with it uh, was uh, there were some extra fees to be paid. He had to be, it had to be sat in a particular way at the centre. And, and also, what I just remember now is actually we didn't have the information in time to actually make a decision what to do with the exam. So our, with schools, it was it, it was quite straightforward. You don't see the exams, teachers will assess the exams, and that's it. Uh, teachers will assess your, your their progress through their coursework. Well, for, for home matters, we don't have teachers, you know, you're self-taught, we have tutors. Um, in our case, we didn't have a tutor for Arabic, so it was self-taught. Um, so there was no way for me to provide evidence unless he sat extra mock exams um, on Zoom with a certified, with someone that the, that the exam center um, trusted. So one of their tutors and they just added up. So we already paid about 360 pounds, I think for, for the four papers, uh, that's listening, reading, writing, and uh, speaking. And we had just, uh, I think the costs that were gonna be added were, was mounting up to about 500, Odd pounds, and still we wouldn't know whether that tutor would actually assess him fairly or not, because the tutor didn't know them, didn't know him at all, had never met him. So he, they, they would just take him on that day. So I didn't think that was very fair. So with all the stress and the very limited time we had and the extra cost, we decided let's let's wait for next year. You know, it's okay to lose one year. You still, he was only thirteen, I think, at the time. So we said it's fine. Let's let's do it next year. Then of course next year 2021 came, I think 2021. We then we, the exams were cancelled again, and um, and this time again, of course no one believed that the exams were cancelled for a second time. It was just you know we could we thought that the system of qual and the, the exam exam centres and exam examining board would be ready for this, but again with home matters, things weren't very clear in time, and. Um, yeah, we just could we can go ahead with it again. He just did said, I'm not, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this way, you know, I'm either sitting the exam or not. So what we did then is um I, I gave him a mock exam with all exam um conditions. Um and I put him in a room and I just sat outside his room. He had no books or nothing, he just sat the exam as if it was an, at an exam center. And I assessed it, I marked it, and I printed out a certificate and said, This is your mark. I think that if you were if you sat your exam. This will be a mark. And I said, Arabic GCSE from our own home institution. And I said, just forget about it now. You've done it. 
you know, you did really well. You've been doing this for three or four years now. So well done. Just he wanted closure for him to move on. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe that, you know, he would have to wait another year. I mean, just imagine that you, you're ready to take your exam and you have to wait two years before yeah. you actually are able to take it. I mean, it's just it's just not on, is it? No, it wasn't. And he was really exam ready. He was really, really exam ready. Um, and he had he had real clear plans for so the GCSEs he sat at the time at his local college part time. Um, he was lucky that that of course he had teachers who were assessing him. So those exams, those um, uh, subjects were all assessed by his teachers and he was not very happy with the results, but he had a result. At least, you know, they, they, they had some justification for giving him that result. Um, but for his Arabic, he was just, it was left in, in, in open air. It was, there was no clear indication. The amount of admin work I had to do just to find out the loopholes and find out how we're gonna get, we were going to go to, to an exam center, which was about um, two hours away from us. It was just ridiculous, the, the logistics behind it. And I didn't think it was worth it in the end. Um, so that's what I mean with the value of GCSE. What's the real value really of GCSE? You know, the yeah. child, you know, he had, he had learned the language. He was ready. He could speak Arabic. Um, he could read a little bit. He could write a little bit. It was enough. Yeah, so, absolutely. And you know, there are some people who think that GCSE exams are now maybe redundant because when they were introduced, um, it was because children were leaving school at the age of 16 and they needed some certificates and things to show their progress for when they left school. But now, because most children are staying in education until they're 18 and they're doing A-levels, do we still really need GCSEs at all? Or can we just get rid of them and go on to A-levels and then get the certificates at 18 instead? Have you got any thoughts about that? Yes, so that is one way of looking at it. Um, if we look at other European countries, children sit exams every single year. And in one way, it releases that pressure of having just one exam at the age of 16. You can see slow progress every year of what the child could be at and what the progress the child is making. So in, in one say that has its advantages. Um, exams in itself should not determine a child's ability. A child could have a bad day, it could have some circumstances, uh, it could maybe not put information as well on paper as well as it could do verbally. It may, be, um, it may be that a child has a way of processing their thoughts differently and therefore doesn't meet the criteria of that, of, of the, of, of, to meet the, the, the to, um, to get the marks needed. Um, so, it is really, it's really difficult to say whether uh, exams actually reflect a child's ability. On the other hand, I do realize that having statistical evidence of a child's progress is very useful. It's very useful to have statistics on how well the child is doing in this subject, because um, it, it gives, it, it gives indicators for teachers, for parents, and for employers as well. Um, however, the curriculum is set by, by adults who have left the education for a very long time and may have a very uh, out-of-date view on what education should be like for, for the next future. 
So the gap of, of generation and the gap in uh, societal norms and values and labor market may be quite, quite big. Um, and also our education system and our marking system and our curriculum changes so frequently that actually we don't even know what we're doing anymore. <laughs> You know the curriculum. We we've had we've had the the A um, the the A's and the B's kind of marking system, and then changed the one to nines, and the employers don't understand anymore what's the difference anymore. Um, even even uh, further education institutions sometimes they ask, so what is this in letters? You know what is a four? Is it is it a C or is it a B? You know we. Um, so that I've heard that as well. So it's it's really difficult to say whether. It's completely redundant. I understand why it may be useful, but I don't think it is very useful as we have it at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting what you said also about your son. He took the GCSEs at different ages as well. And then what you said just now about how the curriculum is changing quite a lot, because um, I was thinking about possibly my son doing his math GCSE a couple of years early and then someone said to me well actually you have to be careful about not doing it too early that um, the exam will completely change by the time he gets to like A levels or university you know where it's important because they don't like it if you've done it too far in the past where it's been like a different curriculum and things like that um, so do you have any um, advice for parents thinking about um, putting their children into the exams and what they can do about maybe choosing the right age so it's not too early but it's not too late what what do you think about that does it need to be at a certain time so it depends really what the purpose of the exams is so for us when when my second one did his math at 12 it wasn't because he needed UCSC he didn't need UCSC at all it was for us and maybe to be very honest, also something for me, because he was at that transition age, like, okay, we can't just play with sand outside anymore. Um, you know, if I let him just be, he'll be annoying his younger siblings. I need to get on with, you know, helping my third or fourth, you know, with their reading and storytelling and crafts. And I need to make sure that he was doing something educational, you know, to, to um, so it was difficult to, to manage at the time. and. He loved maths, he absolutely loved maths, he still does. Um, and he was just working through his workbook so quickly that I thought, okay, let's, let's work towards something and let's have the experience of going through an assessment. And it was for me as well as for him because I didn't have a clue of, I, didn't have, I was educated in, in the Netherlands. So I didn't have a clue what GCSEs were, how they were, what the examining boards there were. So the whole process, I want to be prepared for it as well. And he and he said, "Yeah, fine. Let, let's let's try and do it." So we just we just chosen an, an exam board. I didn't even know why I chose exam board. It was the book that I had available, and it was the exam center who was doing that specific exam board. So I was guided by that. It wasn't that we made a conscious choice of which exam board to to choose. It was what was available to us. So for us, it was just an experience. And from the research study that I've done, a lot of parents do it just for the experience and don't really matter what grade they get because they know they have still a lot of time to, to get their GCSEs for the reasons for further education. Um, so maybe parents are thinking, you know, 
it doesn't really matter what grade they get now because in a couple of years time they could just do it again and yeah. get a better grade and it's just giving them that experience of what an exam is like yeah. in case they want to do more in the future yeah. it's kind of like preparation for them exactly and and the the ones that do it younger what I found they do it they mostly do it with subjects they already done for a while and they really enjoy so there was one who uh one of my participants did something on um astronomy because the ch child had a passion for astronomy and was doing it for years and when the mum looked through the GCSE she found that in the the content of the GCSE for astronomy a lot of it she already had covered when she was much younger so she had a good grasp of of the content for, for the GCSE exam um so that's why they just said okay let's do this so that you have an idea what's like to do a history GCSE or you know a math GCSE or with English this is what the process is like uh, this is how you revise for it this is how you especially especially answering exam questions so this is the most the biggest struggle that home editors have because most of home editors learn in a very autonomous way and we express ourselves and uh, express our, uh, the information that we have in in various ways uh, but with exams you really have to be careful how you answer the question because even if the answer is correct but not so even if you have the right information in there but it's not put in the way that they want it to be then you may be missing out marks whereas even if you put a wrong answer but your thought process how you write things down is correct you may still get some marks yeah I've heard this as well a lot of exams is actually more about the technique sometimes yeah. than about the knowledge yes so this this is a this was for us quite tricky because this is what what I, what I still struggle with when I was helping recently my, my kids with their GCSEs and their exams is knowing what how to formulate your answers and knowing what three marks mean so what what do the three what what do you get the three marks for you can only get this through practice yeah um but in terms of uh doing exams early what i did notice from personal experience the 18 13 and 16 a lot changes in a child in that period of time they mature so quickly and their thought process also changes dramatically and I think there's a benefit to leaving the exams to the age of 16 because of that maturity. But it does, I do understand that adds more stress to have, you know, you know normally home editors sit about six, maybe six exams, six to eight exams maximum. Um, some even do less than that, some do more than that. But to have many exams in one particular time in a space of maybe what, about a month and a half, maybe between May and June. Uh, it's quite a lot to to revise for and that's that's why staggering it uh, may be very helpful what I can tell in terms of further education is that if they decide to do a levels that the six forms and colleges do like to see so if you're taking for example maths physics and biology or science subject they do like you to um have done that recently so if you had a year where you haven't done that then they would question you know do you still have you retained that information to start a levels on that subject so yeah i have heard people say that that some colleges or some sixth forms ask them to revise a bit more in their holidays just for them to be ready or support them um 
but not in, in most circumstances, they accept that it's been staggered. And again, it's parents who take these steps. So parents are the ones who are negotiating on the child's behalf here with the college in sixth form saying, I believe my son can do this, or I believe my daughter has retained that information and um, I'm, we're happy to you know, negotiate our way through that entry uh, process or the registration process. Yeah, and another thing that um, I found out when I started looking into it as well was um, someone said to me, you know, your child might have the ability to do the mathematics at GCSE level, but have they got that concentration at the age of 12 to be able to actually sit through a two hour exam and actually physically write for two hours? Because it takes quite a lot of stamina, doesn't it, to actually sit there and write for that length of time. So it's not just about their you know, intelligence and their ability to, um, to do the maths. It's also about the amount of stamina, concentration and all those kind of skills as well. They may not be ready in that sense. Yes. Yes, it does take quite a lot. I mean, even you, you go to an exam centre and you sit between however many other students from that school or sometimes older people, um, you know, young adults who are resitting their exams. And in one case, I've actually seen um, people in their 40s and 50s sitting their GCSE exams because they want to have a career change. And and as a 12, 13 year old, you sit between all these people and you know they're all nervous. Um, and you're just sitting there for two hours, not, not knowing your environment. It's not in your school, it's not in your home environment where you're normally used to, to learn. So it does take some emotional energy there and it takes some, um, it takes more than just knowing the content and knowing that you're gonna pass. It, it you know, there are other factors in there. So, I don't want to say it's not worth it, um, and I don't want to say I wouldn't want to recommend it either. So that it, it really depends on a case by case basis. Yeah, absolutely. And um, something that I've been thinking about is, you know, children who go to school they have all of this preparation, they have assessments quite regularly, so they're kind of used to that exam format, aren't they, and the revision yeah. and everything like that. But the home educators, it may be their first ever exam. Yeah. And, you know, I can see even from my daughter, my eldest, who has recently gone into year seven, she's never done assessments before this year. However, in primary school, they would have some kind of little tests, wouldn't they? Even, you know, spelling tests once a week or something. Yeah. So they do kind of have that um, preparation. They've had the SATs in year two and year six. Um, but then my daughter in year seven, she's had no previous experience of any assessments, any exams. And she really did struggle a lot, actually, with her exams or her progress assessments in January. Um, and she she came home. She was quite upset. She was she was saying to me, you know, I, I didn't know it would be like this. You know, it was really difficult. I didn't know the answer or I didn't know one word. She actually said to me that she didn't know um, one of the words, what one of the words meant in her English exam. So she just put her hand up to ask and they said, we can't answer your question. <laughs> so, you oh, know, okay. it was like okay. a really different experience for her. But other home educators, you know, my daughter's now in school, but there may be home educators that, you know they haven't been in school at all and then they're going to do their GCSE exams is it fair for us to ask home educated children to do GCSEs or do you think there's like another way that possibly home educated children could be assessed 
or you know like maybe creating a portfolio of their work or is there anything else that people can do instead or should we be encouraging them to maybe do something else or should higher education institutions be accepting of more different things I think it's already happening so although I haven't I mean there is the for more artistic children there is the arts award I think if you do um the silver so you've got bronze silver and gold so I think the silver is equivalent to a GCSE um, and that's a really nice they can do their own project in whatever art form um, and it can be photography it could be textile it could be painting drawing whatever um, and that's that's a really nice alternative to GCSE um, so if someone was was thinking of um, photography GCSE or um, or any other arts-based textiles this could be a, a very nice alternative um, there are other course based um, qualifications uh, in BTEC I think uh, something in drama I can't I can't quite remember which one it is but there are alternatives out there which are course work-based but the thing is it's like a needle in a haystack as parents, we have to find out what suits our child best, how they learn best, which exams suit them best, which qualification, and also what we can afford. Because it, it that you know there are a lot of other factors involved in this. If they were in school, you you know you didn't have to think you know don't think about it. But as home edders, all that responsibility lays on the parents because we opted out of the system, so we bear all the responsibilities and the finances that, that come with it. So the finance is not only the access to exam, it's also the tutoring, the material, the time invested. And bear in mind that, you know, if you have a home edit child, that means that one parent or a family member should be with that child. So that's a, a, another lack of, you know, one person's income um, is also being deducted here. So there are a lot of other factors involved, but yes, there are alternatives. There are not many. Um, and I think there are some universities now I've heard some success stories on various groups. I, I haven't had experience myself yet, but there are other um, universities who, when they do interviews, they do value uh, a portfolio. You know, if you write a really good personal statement, and this is the other thing, you know, writing a good personal statement is not a thing that you learn throughout your school system. You, you learn how to write what the other person wants to hear. Um, it's, it's a systematic kind of process. Um, and recently, I think there's another colleague of mine who did a, a project where she was helping, through university, was helping home ed teenagers putting in applications through university and making them understand how the UCAS process works and how to write a personal statement and what kind of things to put in the portfolio if they haven't got the GCSEs needed. So there are some in initiatives, but like I said, it's, it's very little and it, you know you have to look for them I didn't even think of those things actually because obviously it's quite a long time until my children yeah. get to that stage but yeah I now that you mention it there is so many things that you need to do in order to apply for university with the UCAS and personal statement and things like that and yeah you're right it throughout school they will be preparing them for that and I guess if they're home educated it's up to us then to prepare yeah. them and get all of those bits and pieces together and you know we have to it, it takes a lot of time as parents for us to find out all those things that we need to do um, but the other thing you mentioned as well was the cost of things and it just struck me how um, 
there could be a huge amount of inequality there, you know, because if you can't afford for your child to take five, six exams, perhaps your child is only going to take two exams and they're going to be at a disadvantage because the exams are actually really expensive. I don't think people realise the amount of cost that goes into the GCSE exams. I mean, it's, you know, around about £250, I would say, give or take, though I do... um, know someone who recently found an exam centre where it was much much lower maybe 120 pounds per exam but if you think that's per exam you know you have to factor this in how how a family's going to afford this on one income so it's it's really difficult isn't it do you think there should be maybe some funding aside for home educated families in order to help them with the exam costs so through that research project I did uh, about the exam cancellations um, during pandemic and how it affected the home educators, I found out that there were some areas in, in England that had a funding cut that parents could be reimbursed for the exams, for the extra cost of the exams. Um, and even if people lived in that area, if they not had found out about it, they wouldn't have had access to it. So the type of parents, so the type of parent who would find out about it would be the parent who is online, so has some digital knowledge, who, who has a laptop and the internet, so has the, you know, has that as well, the technical capital, um, and who know how to find information and have good communication skills to find that information. So, and has the time to be able to dedicate to, to find it. So what, what I found in the research project is that not all parents have the time or the ability to do this. And therefore it was really a handful of people who had access to this. And unfortunately also, because the competition is high, some information was not shared amongst home editors because they were worried that if, you know, if I have access to this and I tell someone else, that means that I may not get it anymore. So there was a real uncertainties, even with those people who did have the knowledge. Um, the other thing also is, even without the pandemic, you know, just going through the exam process for one exam, two exams, one child, two children. You know, there was at one stage where I paid, I think, 680 pounds for two of my children for two exams each. Now, I was lucky enough to be able to put on my credit card and pay it off in installments, but not everyone has the ability to do that. So you're really relying on the parent's financial background and the socioeconomic background of the parents the child's education is in their hands which I don't think is fair and that's why I raised the question earlier about should GCSEs or national qualifications be part of the child's right to education or should it be separate that's so useful that information Fadwa because that is the first time that I've heard about that funding pot um and i I mean, I don't think I haven't spoken to anyone who's known about that until I've spoken to you just now. So it just goes to show that the majority, I would say, of home ed parents do not know about this funding pot. They do not know that they can have this support for the exams. Um, and yeah, are, is it a human right for the children? Should our government be saying, you know, each parent needs to have this amount of money in order to allow their children to do the exams which will get them the qualifications which will get them to university so yeah I mean this has thrown up quite a lot of questions this conversation hasn't it 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 does because 
I mean, that was only a particular area. So if one area could have that fund during the pandemic, why can't we have it in all areas? And why can't we have it post-pandemic? Absolutely. So it, it, you know, if and, and the other thing is that the majority of home meadows or children, um, you know, there are people who opt out, opted out or opted their children out because of special educational needs or they were disadvantaged in certain, certain ways and others who just wanted you know a different type of education opted out but looking at the children who were disadvantaged in a schooling system and now they're home edited you're actually shifting the responsibility to the parents and and putting children at a further potentially a further disadvantage a financial disadvantage and further educational disadvantage disadvantage yeah so, absolutely because actually those parents are already at, probably at a financial disadvantage anyway because they're probably having to pay for your, their kids maybe to get therapy and for different resources if their children have special educational needs and then on top of that their children then come out of school and then they need to fund their GCSE exams as well I mean that just puts so much financial pressure on those families doesn't it yeah and the thing that that came up that I found with the with the research project is that unfortunately the people who come come forward for research project are the same type of people who know the system. They they challenge the system and they find ways to make education work for education system work for their children. Not all parents have the capacity to do that or the capability. Um, all they want is a child to be safe and to to have. A good mental well-being and uh, physical well-being so you know to put that extra pressure on you know okay well there you go uh, you know you sort out the qualifications it's just a hugely unfair i think uh, and i if if our education system says a child should be in full education until the age of 18 or until it or until it has a qualification, which is is a GCSE. Um, then, for me, how I interpret that is that the GCSE is part of the children's right to education. So, in that case, GCSE should be free for anyone. Anyone who should want to access GCSE is part of the basic right to education. But how it is at the moment is that as soon as you opt out of the system, you're left on your own and the children's right to education is no longer a responsibility of the state it is the parents and and that is the loophole we have at the moment that we have our education act which says it's a parent's responsibility for the child to be educated in school or otherwise and if we change that we have other implications so we are in a kind of caveat you know in a kind of catch-22 um and i think something has to change but i don't know quite what yet as it is at the moment, if we rely on qualifications to for children to progress, for employers to assess whether they're suitable or not, then I think at least give the GCSEs as a as a chance as as an option free of charge for home educators because they're entitled to. They're they're saving on so much on the system. They're saving on so much on on a taxpayer by educating their own children. So at least give them that back. You're not Absolutely. giving to the parents, you're giving to the children. Absolutely. And um, finally, I just wanted to get your input on perhaps if there are parents out there now who are thinking about 
GCSEs for their home ed children. Are there any tips that you could give them um, when they're thinking about this? Save up, plan. <laughs> um, there's so much planning involved in this. I mean, uh, this year again, we've had to let go of one of GCSEs my son was doing. He was gonna sit in Japanese this year, in addition to the other three he was doing through the college. But the nearest exam center is two and a half hours away. There's no way I could get him to an exam center by nine o'clock, fresh, ready to start, you know. Why are um, they always at nine o'clock in the morning? <laughs> I don't know. Quarter past nine or nine o'clock. I mean, I mean, that was that wasn't, I'm not sure if that was a time for Japanese exam, but that that was the risk we we're going to take. Um, and then to do that four times, to do that for his listening, for his speaking, for his reading, and for his um writing. So and with other children and with work, you know, that was not that was just impossible to do that. So um, plan ahead, know where the exam center are, make sure the exam center sits the exam you want them to sit. Um, and yeah, prepare, prepare for the exam questions. So however much time you need to prepare for the content. So the whole, you know, um, all the maths that they need to know for, I don't know, say at Excel exam or AQA exam allocate some time in addition to that maybe 20 percent of the time you start revising allocate some time to just do lots and lots of mock exams just to get them used to how to answer questions and that's a tricky bit is that you know with a lot of subjects i didn't i didn't know all the answers to all the math questions uh, last time i did math i was about 18 maybe or, or 17 maybe um, and i did in, in a different language so the vocabulary was very different so for me to mark you know, to, to mark his English GCSE exam that I never was put through was was quite difficult. So, you know, perhaps I would advise if you're not familiar, maybe, you know, hire a tutor or someone who could just, just for a, a few mock exams to get them used to the exam questions and how to answer them and give them really constructive feedback on how to improve their answers or how to write their answers better to get full marks for that questions because you know you can use a few marks here and there and in the end it really adds up um and finally once you get the results and something i didn't know if you're one or two marks off a grade so if they give you grade four but they always tell you what marks you had like then you can find out whether you're one or two marks off if it's it's a couple of marks off you can challenge that and get a remark and still get a higher mark oh wow that's very good to know as well so I found out too late because I couldn't appeal anymore, but you can do that. You can ask for a remark. Oh, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I must say I am very confused as well with the change from ABC to one, two, three, four. I mean, I don't get it at all. Um, but I hope by the time my children are at that stage, I will understand the whole system and how it works. Literally, I can sit through all the exams now and probably get the same mark as my kids now. I know, I think quite enough. <laughs> um, I mean, I did a Japanese perhaps, but you know, with psychology we did, we did math, with biology. I think, I think I can sit through all of them. It, it's 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 as if you're learning with them, really. That's yeah. There's so and much that's the, time. That's the thing I love about home ed, learning with the children. But I don't know whether I want to learn mathematics to the level of GCSE ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took me way back to school when I thought, how did I work this out? And then, yeah. And of course, with me because I've I was educated in the Netherlands. The way I work things out are very Dutch, and 
So then eventually we had to get a tutor in. Although I knew the answer, the way I worked things out was not the way the, the examiners would want to see him work it out. So yeah, so that's maybe a good point as well for multi-cultural um, families. You know, if you've been brought up in a different country, you may need some extra support for, yeah. from a tutor to just do the way, do it the way that things are in this country, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Fadua. It's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. You are just a fountain of knowledge on all things GCSE and exams. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. If you would like to read some of Fadua's latest research papers on homeschooling, you can find links to them in the show notes. I've also put Fadua's email in there if you'd like to contact her about anything to do with homeschooling or her research. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please do leave some feedback because it helps other families like yours to find the podcast. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Wonder and Learn podcast.